The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 378 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is protecting privacy of patients, mothers, newborns, and family caregivers. Our introduction begins as far back as 2004, when the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's TV program Marketplace broadcast the story, Mining Your Business, Targeting New Parents. Uh, it, the story was about abuse of privacy of mothers of newborns by a company selling registered education savings plans. Ten years later, August 27, 2014, the Toronto Star newspaper reported that at an Ontario hospital, breaches of personal health information had affected 14,450 patients, including mothers of newborns. Two days later, August 29, 2014, the same newspaper, Toronto Star, added that as far back as 2009, six prominent Ontario hospitals inappropriately gave up personal health information of tens of thousands of new mothers. Then on February 2, 2015, the Ontario Court of Appeal granted patients the right to sue hospitals over privacy breaches. So now, when we think about mothers with their newborns uh, that are being provided with care in hospitals, we understand that the mothers are, all at the same time, patients and family caregivers for their newborns and protectors of their newborns' health information, all of which is why the work of Ontario's Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner is so important, and all of which is also why our topic, Protecting Privacy of Patients, Mothers, Newborns and Family Caregivers, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. Our guest is Acting Commissioner Brian Beamish. Now, Brian began his career at the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner in 1999 as Director of Policy and Compliance. In 2005, he was appointed Assistant Commissioner to direct the Tribunal Services Division in its work of investigating privacy complaints and resolving access to information appeals. In addition to overseeing the Tribunal, he also served as an Executive Policy Advisor, playing a key role in executing the mandate of the Commission and in supporting several initiatives in 
executing the mandate of the Commission in supporting several initiatives of the best interests of the public, such as bringing universities and hospitals under the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act and ushering in the Personal Health Information Protection Act. And prior to joining the Commission, Brian held various positions in the Ontario Public Service, including with the ministries of the Solicitor General and Correctional Services. So welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be involved. Thank you. First question for you. Please tell us more about your life, career, and any experience you have of family caregiving. Well, I, I think you gave a very good uh, summary of my, my career. I'm a, uh, a lawyer by profession, uh, but really have not gone into private practice of law. I've been a public servant now for uh, almost 30 years and a role that, that I'm very proud to have played or and, and continue to play. Uh, I did start as a uh, uh, in the Ontario Public Service, but have joined the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner uh, back in 1999. Um, as I say, I've always been proud to play a, uh, a role in public service, and I think that the, the job that we do here at the Information and Privacy Commission is really a part of that. Uh, our work supports two really important values, those of, on one hand, transparency and accountability that is, is uh, featured in our freedom of information part of our, our mandate, and the second principle of uh, the right to privacy, which is featured in our, our privacy protection part of our mandate as well. Uh, in terms of my, my experience as a, a family caregiving, um, I've been married for almost 30 years. Uh, my wife and I have a couple of now adult children, but uh, I guess we've gone through the usual uh, challenges and trials and tribulations that any parents do in raising children in terms of caregiving and uh, uh, various trips to emergency wards and what have you. Now, next question. I want you to say more about the work of the Office of the Information and Privacy Commission of Ontario. Um, given that our audience comes to us, not only from within Ontario, but also outside it. Please say more about what the organization is and what it actually does. Sure, I'd be, I'd be happy to. Um, our commission, first of all, it's important to understand that we are, although we're publicly funded, we're what's called an arm's length body. So we are not reporting to the government of the day. I don't report to our premier or to any particular politician. We're set up to be an independent body to review government decision-making uh, and, and separated from any kind of potential political influence or pressure. Uh, our mandate comes from three pieces of legislation. Two of them are very similar. Uh, that's the Provincial and Municipal Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act. And those two acts uh, do two things. First, they set up at the provincial and municipal level uh, our freedom of information laws. In other words, they give people the right to make uh, a request to government organizations for information. And if they're dissatisfied with the answer they get from government, they can then file an appeal with our office. And we have an independent tribunal function that handles that appeal process. Uh, that's a, a bit different from, for example, the, the way freedom of information laws operate in the United States. There, generally speaking, people have a right to ask for information. And if they are dissatisfied with the response, 
there are recourses to the courts, and the courts can be uh, costly and time-consuming, and for the average person, generally quite intimidating. It, 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 uh, most individuals going to court would, would have a lawyer representing them. Uh, Unlike that, here, if a person puts in a freedom of information request and, and doesn't like the answer, they can come to our office. Uh, it's uh, quicker, easier, uh, I would say more user-friendly in terms of resolving freedom of information requests. The second part of the mandate is on the privacy side. And our acts establish the rules for governments at the provincial and municipal level in terms of the collection, use, and disclosure of personal information. And if a, a citizen feels that the government has exceeded those rules, they have the right to file a complaint with our office, and we can conduct an investigation and issue a report. The third piece of legislation, and the one that's, uh, that uh, I think we'll be discussing further today, is the Personal Health Information Protection Act. That act came into effect uh, 10 years ago, and it sets the rules for the collection, use, and disclosure of personal health information in the province of Ontario. So any uh, health care providers or health care organizations that are in the uh, business of delivering health care are covered by the Act. That would include uh, doctors, uh, chiropractors, uh, any sole practitioners uh, in the health area, but would also cover laboratories, uh, hospitals, long care, uh, long care homes, what have you. And, and the, the Act establishes the rules for how those organizations deal with personal health information. Uh, it gives everybody, every patient, a right to ask for access to their health information, and it gives people the right to file a complaint with our office, uh, a complaint that information has been misused, and we have the right to conduct an investigation, and we can issue an order at the end of the day requiring certain steps to be taken if we feel that the rules on how health information should be handled have been violated. Right. Brian, now, your job, your new job um, as Acting Information and Privacy Commissioner. First of all, when were you appointed? And please tell us what your work actually involves. Brian. Well, I, I became the Acting Commissioner in uh, July of 2014. Uh, the previous Commissioner's term expired and the, the government uh, uh, hadn't uh, uh, appointed a, a replacement prior to uh, her leaving. Uh, and so for the past seven months, I've been full, filling this role in, in an acting, on an acting basis. Uh, what does it mean? It means I guess I'm the, in many ways the face of the organization, uh, the outward face uh, of the organization. Uh, I'm responsible f at the end of the day for how our tribunal services operate, uh, any investigations that are conducted, any access to information appeals that are conducted. Ultimately, I'm responsible for that part of the business. But we also at the uh, commission are involved in educational outreach. Uh, educating people on privacy issues, for example. Uh, we're involved in uh, consultations with government organizations that are considering bringing in uh, new laws or new policies that may impact on access to information or privacy. Uh, we consult with them and, and provide advice on how those laws or policies should be shaped in order to, uh, uh, in order to take into consideration uh, 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 particular privacy issues, uh, and 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 doing outreach through the media and and public relations and speaking engagements to get the word out on the importance of privacy and the importance of access to information. 
right? Just very quickly, in a few moments that are left, please just give us a sense of what you guys mean by personal health information. Brian? Well, personal health information has a, a very long and complicated definition in our legislation. Uh, but really, what it means is any information about an identifiable inf individual that relates to the provision of health care to them. And it can be as simple as who a person's doctor is, or it, 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 it can be uh, much more sensitive and much more detailed in terms of uh, their health record when they enter hospital and what services are provided to them. The entire clinical record would be personal health information. So in essence, it's information about the provision of health care services to an identifiable individual. And that's fundamental to healthcare, and it's also fundamental to the concept of privacy, what you've just described, in the sense that uh, we need protection from people who might be wanting access to this personal health information for purposes that are not appropriate for us, helpful to us, or even harmful to us. Now, having read you that lecture, I'm just going to say it's time for the short break. This is where I always say that we have to pay the rent, so we'll do that now. So this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Acting Commissioner Brian Beamish. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, creator of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Acting Commissioner Brian Beamish. Our topic is protecting privacy of patients, mothers, newborns and family caregivers. Now, let's, Brian, first please talk about two separate breaches of privacy of personal health information that the Rouge Valley Health System Hospital reported to the Office of the Information and Privacy Commission of Ontario. So first of all, Brian, please explain to us what breaches actually are, why these are matters for concern, and how the Office of the Information and Privacy Commission of Ontario responds to them. Brian? Well, yes, uh, as I mentioned in the previous segment, the our uh, Personal health privacy legislation establishes rules on how health professionals and health organizations can collect, use, and disclose or dispose of personal health information. In other words, what's the rule when you go to your doctor or you go to the hospital? Uh, what are the rules in terms of what they can collect? Who can they share that information with? Uh, how are they required to store it, etc.? A breach generally is when one of those rules has been violated. And, and our experience on, on what is a breach or what kinds of breaches we see really uh, covers the spectrum. Uh, some of them are, are quite simple. Or I, I mean, they're serious to the individuals involved, but in, in general, they're, they're the result of carelessness. Uh, a, a, a diagnostic test gets put in the wrong envelope and sent to the wrong address. An email is sent to the wrong individual. Uh, uh, faxes get sent to the wrong uh, fax machine. That is a breach of the act. Uh, somebody's health information has gone to someone who does not have the authority to see it. We get into other breaches that I would call more systemic. Uh, for example, uh, quite often now health professionals are, are, uh, are putting health information of individuals on mobile devices. That could be a USB key or it could be a laptop. Uh, if that uh, USB key or laptop is stolen or lost, then that personal health information that's on the, the device is also stolen or lost, which represents a breach of the act. Uh, we deal with many cases uh, uh, of what we call abandoned records. So a, 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 a health professional goes out of business or is no longer competent to practice. Uh, their records are he, he or she leaves their office, uh, locks the door and walks away. Their records are there, in effect, unattended. Again, it's a breach of the act. The rules around secure uh, uh, storage and, and disposal of the records have been breached. So 
breaches of the act come in in all shapes and sizes, uh, and as I said, varying degrees of, of seriousness. Uh, in the particular case with Rouge Valley, uh, it came to our attention uh, through uh, through media and through calls to our office that uh, mothers who had given birth at Rouge Valley, after they left the hospital, after they were discharged, were receiving calls from a registered educational savings plan. And the, uh, the, they were, were, in effect, what they thought were cold calls, uh, somebody calling up and saying, uh, we understand you've had a child. Are you interested in, in, uh, in our program, and can we offer you our services? Uh, on the occasions that this happened, the individuals, the mothers receiving these calls, couldn't remember having offered their names to one of these companies or been solicited for business, uh, and it, 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 they therefore had a, a suspicion that the information was given from a hospital source to the registered educational uh, savings plan company, uh, and therefore the, the call to our office. Right. Now, the next question follows on that. Um, you, the office, um, published on December 16, 2014, an order, and I'm going to ask you to explain what an order is, um, relating to these breaches. Please explain for us the findings that the order reports, and also give us, please, a sense of what an order actually involves. Brian? Yes, well, an order is, is, is the result of the, the end result, or maybe the end result, of one of our investigations. And if we have conducted an investigation and we've determined that the, the, our act has been violated and that there are steps that need to be taken to prevent a reoccurrence, we have the authority to issue an order and to make uh, order provisions that require a health professional or a health organization like a hospital to take very specific steps to prevent a reoccurrence. In the case of, uh, of Rouge Valley, we did conduct an investigation. We interviewed extensively, uh, including the, uh, the hospital staff, and we concluded that two staff members who had access to the electronic health records at the hospital were using their access in order to get contact information of uh, the, the parents of newborn children at the hospital. They were then taking that and selling that information to uh, to a, a registered educational savings plan company uh, for profit. Uh, now, I, I, the, this this activity of going in and looking at records that you health records that you don't have the authority to look at, we euphemistically call that snooping. Uh, and it's not uncommon for these situations to come to our attention, where staff have gone in and looked at health records that they don't have the authority to look at. Uh, often, generally speaking, that is, is done out of curiosity, human nature, call it what you will. Uh, it may be someone looking at the health records of a relative, uh, health records of a, a neighbor, uh, a co-worker, what have you. People don't have that. The, the law is very clear that you only have a right to access health records on a need-to-know basis. 
You must be part of the team delivering services to that individual in order to look at the individual's health record. Quite clear. So there is no right to go in and look at uh, at a relative's records. Uh, there's no right to go uh, to look at the, the records of a high-profile individual in the community who happens to be getting services at your hospital. Uh, no right to go look at the uh, at neighbors' records, what have you. Uh, we had issued orders on a number of occasions, and, and curiously enough, both of the, the orders dealt with what I would call a, a love triangle, uh, where a, an ex-spouse is seeking services at a hospital that uh, he or she knows their ex is working at and has asked that, uh, that uh, any access by the ex be prevented. Uh, nevertheless, it happens. Um, typical kind of case that we deal with. The situation with Rouge Valley was uh, as disturbing as those situations are. Rouge Valley presented a, 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 a another twist on that. This is the first time we saw staff accessing records without authority for profit, uh, which which uh, caused us to really peel back the layers when we were doing the investigation to make sure that we uh, we were satisfied with the uh, uh, the details of our investigation. Uh, what we ended up doing, we, we did confirm that the two staff members had looked at records, had collected information from those records, and had sold it on to uh, to a company. Uh, we found that in our investigation that the staff members were able to access a, a database of health information that did not have a proper audit trail. Uh, an audit trail is incredibly important for databases with sensitive information in it, like a clinical record. And a proper audit will create an audit trail. In other words, it will record who has looked at the record and when. And and it will, will retain that information for a period of time so that if there's any question about misuse or, or people looking at a record that they didn't have the authority to look at, uh, the, the hospital administration could go back and do, a, do an audit and check. In this case, as I say, the database did not have an audit trail, and it was not auditable. Uh, in our order... Brian, I'm just going oh. to stop you there. I'm sorry to be rude, but it's what I call the tyranny of time. You mean I'm running I've on? One more, <laughs> I have one more question for yeah. you, and that's this. How were the mothers and their newborns affected by the things that had happened to their personal health information while they were in the care of the Rouge Valley Health System Hospital? What well, happened? I, I, don't, I don't think their health care was interfered with. Uh, the the, the uh, staff that looked at the records, in fact, were clerical staff and not delivering health care services, which, which went to the issue of whether they had the right to look at the records in the first place. And, and the, the, the mothers that we spoke to, the parents we spoke to, there was no suggestion that somehow they felt their health care had been, been uh, impacted. I think there were, were two issues, uh, main issues coming out of, how, of the impact of these incidents. One was simply the annoyance of being contacted by a company that you had had no prior relationship with. Um, and, and we all understand that annoyance when the phone calls come at, uh, at dinner time and, and we have to get up and pick up the phone. But I think that there was more than that. I think that there was a sense of violation and a, a, an erosion of trust in the system that 
their information, which was provided in order to get health care from the hospital, had been accessed for purposes other than health care. And uh, this, is, this is not uncommon when, when health care records are looked at uh, uh, without authority. People do feel violated. This is sensitive information. Uh, there's a real feeling of, of privacy having been, been intruded upon. And, and as I say, an erosion in trust in the system can set in where uh, patients uh, are, are concerned that the information they're providing for the provision of health care is somehow not secure. Especially when they are in a vulnerable moment of their lives, particularly vulnerable moments where uh, they've been through a biological process which can be exhausting, sometimes involve you know, complications or treatments and this kind of thing. And therefore, that trust that they must have in the healthcare system is put at risk, as you've described, when information flows where it shouldn't flow. Yeah, no. I, I, I agree completely, and and uh, uh, I, I think in the case of the uh, uh, of the mothers, the case of Rouge Valley, uh, uh, the the impact uh, was was that loss of trust. Uh, I think that we've seen other cases, as I mentioned, where people feel extremely vulnerable that their health information is, in effect, unprotected. And a number of cases where it's unprotected from people that, that the patient feels is out to do them damage, whether psychologically or, or what have you. Um, and, and, and that's very, very worrisome. Right. Now, we once again, it's time for the break, so we'll take that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Acting Commissioner Brian Beamish. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. What kind of world do you want to live in? Should we continue down our current path, or is there a better way? Together, we can change the world. We must start with ourselves, then we can future-proof our homes, businesses, and communities. Many people don't realize it, but most of our society's biggest problems can be solved using current technology. My name is Shane Wolf, and I want to help you understand what you can do right now to make a difference while saving money, reducing your environmental impact, and improving the health of yourself and the people around you. Join me for Future Proof Radio. 
and let's build a better world. Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Acting Commissioner Brian Beamish. Our topic is protecting privacy of patients, mothers, newborns, and family caregivers. Now, Brian, let's talk about the changes that the Rouge Valley Health System Hospital has been ordered to make. You've already mentioned some of them, but I'd like to you to go into a bit more detail. So my first question on that one is, what are the changes that you've ordered for the hospital's electronic information system? Well, right? I would put the, the uh, uh, specific provisions and the specific orders that we made relating to the electronic health system uh, into two categories. I mentioned the issue of audit and how important audit is, the, uh, the, the ability to create an audit trail uh, have it preserved for a set period of time, and then go back and, and perform an audit on that trail. Uh, we found that the hospital's audit functions were inadequate, uh, and so that we, we, as a result, issued an uh, order provision requiring them to ensure that any databases they had with health information uh, were uh, created an audit trail, that that information was preserved, and that uh, it be auditable. We also gave some specific directions in terms of performing random audits. Uh, hospitals will perform an audit if a patient uh, has a suspicion that their health information has been uh, accessed inappropriately, but it, I think it's always a good practice for a hospital or any health professional that has an electronic health system to put in place uh, a a series of audits. Uh, we call them random, but it may be based on a set number of patients per month. Uh, it could be uh, done on the basis of high-profile individuals who are entering the hospital. Uh, for example, a local politician seeking uh, uh, service at the hospital. Uh, it could be done on patients that have similar last names to staff. Uh, regardless, it's, it's it putting in place uh, a process that staff know about and are aware about and can send a signal that if people are accessing records inappropriately, there's a good chance that, that they will be caught at it. The right. second provision relating to technology had to do with search. We found that the two staff members, uh, they, they were, were, as I mentioned, clerical staff, but they were per- able to perform open-ended searches that allowed them to very easily and with little effort identify uh, newborn individuals and their parents. Uh, uh, we found that those search provisions were far too uh, uh, too uh, open-ended, and and ordered them to uh, to tighten that search function up. Now, my next question is: What are the changes that you ordered for the hospital's administrators, Brian? 
Well, the, what's really important in these circumstances is not only to have technical solutions in place, but to have very clear policies for staff to follow, to make sure that staff are aware of them, and to continue to, uh, to send the message home uh, around good privacy practices. Uh, we had a, therefore had a set of recommendations dealing with policies and, pr- policies and procedures and staff training. For example, uh, we uh, not only asked the hospital to have proper policies in place, but to ensure things like uh, tr- staff training once a year, that there be refresher courses. Quite often we find with organizations, uh, they do a very good job of training staff on their orientation about what privacy practices are appropriate or not. But that, that is not followed up on, and, and, and that initial orientation and the emphasis put on privacy uh, weakens as time goes on. So we, we would prefer to see annual training. We also uh, ordered the hospital to ensure that on an annual basis, staff members sign an oath of confidentiality. Again, another way to regularly bring home the importance of privacy and retaining the confidentiality of records. And finally, we, uh, we asked the hospital, ordered the hospital uh, to put in a comprehensive training package. And, and this doesn't have to be onerous for, a, for an organization. Um, those uh, folks who have been to a hospital recently know that hospitals do a very good job of, of having a, a public campaigns around things like washing hands. Uh, they may put up posters at elevators reminding staff to consistently wash their hands. Uh, hospitals, hospitals that have good privacy practices do similar things for privacy. Look for opportunities to constantly remind staff uh, that privacy is important and to foster that culture of privacy within the organization. Right. Now, what's the changes that you ordered for the hospital's healthcare professionals and other stuff, but particularly the healthcare professionals? Well, Brian? The, the order provision really didn't have a specific uh, uh, order against the staff themselves. Uh, the reason for that is, is we believe it was clear, and we interviewed the staff who were, who were involved in the incident. We believe it's clear that they knew what they did was not right. Uh, and I think most uh, uh, healthcare professionals, and most hospital staff know that they should only be looking at records of patients that they're providing services to or that they need in order to do their job. Uh, I think for our, our purposes, the, the order was an attempt to send a signal and not, not just provide guidance to hospitals, but also to send another signal to staff that this behavior is not appropriate, it's not acceptable, and there will be consequences if you do engage in it. Right. Now, here's an, another kind of rather a leading question for you. I'm getting the impression from what you're saying that Caring for privacy of people who come to the hospital and want to feel that they have trust in the hospital is part of the hospital's professionalism. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, I would agree. That, absolutely agree with that. And I, I think fostering a sense of privacy uh, among patients uh, 
also has real benefits for the healthcare system. Uh, we know uh, from from various studies that have been done of patients, if patients feel that their health information is not being securely uh, kept and, and the, it's not being kept confidential, uh, it in fact may impact on the on the quality of the information they provide to the healthcare uh, practitioner. They may give only part of the healthcare picture. Uh, they may give false information, which has can have a very serious impact on on the care provided to that particular patient can also have a, an impact on the quality of research material available in order to uh, evaluate services. So it can have a serious impact on the system. Uh, it also, I mean, I, 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 I haven't talked about the impact on the staff themselves. Uh, you, you mentioned professionalism. Uh, staff who engage in this type of behavior may well be uh, reported to their regulatory college, whether they're a nurse or a doctor, what have you, can, can affect affect their ability to, to practice. And uh, in Ontario, in any event, we've seen numerous occasions where this has cost staff their jobs uh, and their livelihood. Uh, they've engaged in this behavior and they've been terminated, which, which I guess ultimately is as serious as it gets. Now, we've been talking a lot about information that goes to the wrong places. Please, Brian, would you say a bit more of how the right places or the right people, the correct people, are defined and brought into the system in such a way that they who need the information and have that uh, need for it, as well as the responsibility for caring for it, how exactly are those responsibilities defined? Right? Well, our our uh, health privacy law has uh, embodies a concept called the circle of care. And the circle of care are those healthcare professionals that are are providing care to a particular patient and have a need to know information about that person in order to provide that care. Uh, it's really important to say that health information has really two sides to it. We've talked a lot about the need to protect privacy, but the flip side of that is I think we all want our health information available to our doctors and nurses and anyone else providing care to us quickly and readily. We don't want our health the provision of health care services to us to be interfered or to be delayed because the right people can't get the right information. Our law does a very good job of defining that circle of care and, and saying that those health care professionals who are providing services to a particular individual can have immediate access to that information. They don't need to go out and, and gain written consent on every occasion where information is being shared. They can assume they have consent as long as they're providing health care. That looks after, that ensures that patient's uh, information is, is available quickly. Uh, the provision of health care services is not being delayed, yet it also draws that line that if you are not providing healthcare services to a person, you shouldn't be looking at their record. Right. And is it fair to say that the circle of care, the, the membership of the circle of care will vary as the patient, the individual progresses through the healthcare uh, 
organization in the hospital. That is to say, <laughs> it isn't a fix, a fix for all time. It's something that the doctor or the nurse is part of for a particular period of time. Is that right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the circle of care can be as small as my doctor's office. If I, if I go for my annual checkup and I'm not being referred on for any other services or tests or what have you, then that's a very close circle of care. Uh, if I go to my doctor for my annual physical and he sends me on to uh, to a, a, cardi- a cardiologist or he takes blood samples to send to a laboratory, what have you, then the circle of care gets broadened out to whoever requires the information in order to perform their job. So it, it is a an elastic uh, uh, concept for, to, to be sure. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the strengths of it, that it all depends on, on, on your ability to imply consent based on the role you're playing for a particular patient. Right. And that, I think, is a very profound principle, if I may say so, that you, you, you as an organization respect. And that is, there are needs for information, and those needs mustn't be jeopardized in any way, whether by, over, forgive me, over-enthusiastic over, um, bureaucracy or insufficient protection. Um, I, that's abs- absolutely critical. Uh, the last thing we want to hear is that uh, healthcare services are, are being hindered by privacy. I mean, privacy should be supporting the delivery of healthcare. It shouldn't be hindering it. Right. Now, once again, it's time for the break, so we'll take that now. This is Dr. Gordon Asley, and my guest is Acting Commissioner Brian Beamish. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. 
If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Acting Commissioner Brian Beamich. Our topic is protecting privacy of patients, mothers, newborns, and family caregivers. Brian, now let's talk about what more you would like to do and see done to improve protection of privacy of patients, mothers, newborns, and family caregivers in the care of hospitals. First, first off, Brian, what more would you like to do to improve the protection of the privacy of the people we're talking about? Brian? Well, in, in terms of the, uh, the role of our office, uh, I, I, we recognize that we have an important role to play in terms of uh, not only public education, uh, but education of the healthcare sector. So it's a role we take very seriously as well. Uh, we, we do have a, a power to investigate and issue orders, but at the end of the day, that is, that's, uh, that's, I don't think the answer. Uh, we can do one-off investigations that, but if, if there are systemic issues at, at play here, uh, we need to address that through, uh, through education and building relationships with the healthcare community. And we're, uh, we do. We try to do that on a regular basis. Uh, uh, we have a, the umbrella organization of hospitals in the province. It's called the Ontario Hospital Association. Uh, we're engaged on a regular basis with them in terms of providing. Uh, uh, continuing education to hospital staff. Uh, we've produced a, a number of educational materials for use by, uh, by hospitals and their staff. We, we, we do uh, recognize we have an active role, and it's one that we, uh, we really do embrace. Uh, I think similarly, hospitals have an important role here uh, in terms of, uh, uh, of training. The, the, the message needs to be delivered on a regular basis to staff uh, about the importance of creating that culture of privacy that, that ends up protecting uh, health care records. Right. Now, let me ask you the same question, but relating to others. So what more would you like to see done and by whom? to improve the protection of privacy of the people we're talking about. Well, Brian? I, I think there's a role here for everybody, and I've, I've mentioned our role and the hospital's role. Uh, I, I think the regulatory colleges have a role to play here. Uh, quite often the, the staff involved in these breaches uh, are uh, a part of a regulatory college. Uh, they, may, they may be a, a physician's uh, college or a, a nurse, for example. Uh, I think the colleges need to send a signal as well that this is unprofessional behavior and that there will be consequences for those staff who or those members who engage in it. Uh, I, that happens on occasion here, but I, I think that a more regular signal could be sent that your ability to practice may be, may be uh, uh, impacted if you're engaging in this behavior. I think as well for, uh, I'm not going to suggest this is for every case, but for the really serious violations of, of patient records and patient trust, our act does uh, uh, allow for prosecutions. Uh, it is, it's not a criminal offense, but it is a, what we call a provincial offense. Uh, if you violate the act willfully, you can be subject to a fine up to $50,000. And I do believe that uh, in in those more serious cases, some focused prosecutions could send a very clear signal to the community that uh, that if you are caught and you've engaged in this kind of behavior, there will be stiff penalties. 
to date in Ontario, we've only had one prosecution in 10 years under the Act. Uh, I'm thinking that that may not be enough, that uh, given the prevalence of this kind of behavior, perhaps we need to uh, to step up and, and prosecute more of those that more high-end, more serious incidents. You've talked about the professions and the professional organizations that give I remember from my medical days, the license to practice and this kind of thing. But there are also something like 20 or 21 professions uh, or associations of professions that represent um, these people um, and their nurses, their physical therapists, their physicians, uh, and there are a whole variety of them, all of whom are involved in healthcare and all of whom are, are potentially users of the personal health information. So what about approaching these professional associations? Is that an, a move that you would want to take? Absolutely. Brian? And, and uh, you know, we, in, the, in Ontario, we call those the regulated health professions. And as you've mentioned, there's a, that spans a whole, uh, a, a whole gamut of, uh, of uh, professional activity. Uh, and I think each of those professions, uh, regulatory bodies has a role to play, and we do reach out to them and and, uh, and try to work with them. Uh, for example, back on uh, January 28th in Ontario, we, we celebrated what's called uh, International Privacy Day. We had, a, we had a, 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 a morning seminar on this particular issue, and we did involve a representative from the, uh, the College of Nurses who, who uh, was excellent and, uh, and gave, really gave a, a very good overview of, of the of what uh, her uh, her group is doing, and and these different professions, health professions, I think there there are different issues that may be relevant to them. Uh, this particular issue we're talking about that arose at Rouge Valley may not be as relevant, say, to a massage therapist who who may just simply be using paper records and and not have a a shared electronic health record, but. That profession may be more concerned about what happens with paper records and how do you securely destroy them when they're no longer needed. Uh, so perhaps they should be focusing in on issues like secure destruction of records by having a reputable shredding company do it rather than putting them in the blue box and, and the recycle bin and putting them out to the curb. Right. Brian, this is the very last question, and it's a bit different. What is your message for women who soon will be mothers of newborns in the care of hospitals? What do you want to say to them? Well, I, I guess congratulations to start with. As, <laughs> as, a, as a parent, I know that it's a, an incredibly rewarding and um, humbling experience, if I can put it that way. Uh, I, I think for, I can speak for Ontario, I, I think the message is you're going to re get really good health care if you're, if you're involved with the medical system in this province, uh, that for the most part your records are going to be secure. Two things I would say. One is if you're going into a, a hospital and you, you have identifiable concerns about particular individuals at that hospital, whether it might be your neighbor, it might be your sister-in-law who works there, speak to uh, hospitals in Ontario have what's called a chief privacy officer. Speak to the chief privacy officer and have a discussion about those concerns and ask them to take steps to ensure that, uh, that, that they're addressed. Uh, the other is, um, interestingly, when we were involved in the Rouge Valley uh, campaign or investigation, uh, we got contacted by a lot of mothers who had these niggling concerns about getting calls after their discharge from other hospitals. And we looked into those. We found that there's a variety of organizations out there that may provide services to uh, uh, to new parents. Uh, and 
in in signing up for those services, the small print may also include sharing their information with organizations like registered educational savings plans companies. So if, if you're signing up for those services, and, and, and I'm sure they're quite good, read the fine print and just, just familiar, <laughs> yes. familiarize yourself with who may be getting your personal health information. Perfectly fair. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this very important um, segment, very important episode of um, Family Caregivers Unite. Uh, I want to say, first of all, thank you to Brian for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and your advice. All success to you. Okay, your thank you. And thank work. you for the, uh, for the interest in the topic. Okay. And very best wishes for the future, too. I want to say thank you to our listeners. And just to our listeners, I'd like to say that we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research, which this episode is part of. And the idea is to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics such as the one we've been listening to just now and for you to share with us your experiences of healthcare. So please email me to hear more or to get involved. And if you'd like to be a guest on my show, here's how to connect with me. Please email me at docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Docg, D-O-C-G, at Family Caregivers Unite, all one word, dot org. Our next episode will be shining a light on patient safety. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.